Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Better Events Podcast this week. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts. And in today's episode, we're talking about why events fail. Ouch. That's a tough topic. But the fact is that sometimes they do fail. And so we are going to deep dive about why sometimes they do or how they do, what components, what contributes to the failure. And actually, truly, is it truly failure? Can we call it that? And what you can also do to avoid these circumstances and then recover from it. So, wow. Okay, that's a lot. We're talking about failure and how to recover. And so let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. I'm Logan Clements, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by fellow co-host Mary Davidson. And before we talk, uh, we jump into this week's juicy topic of why events fail, we're going to do a conversation starter and Listeners, this is episode 99, which I know I can't believe it. Mary, I don't know if you can believe it. We've been doing this for a while now at this point. But to get you started, what's one thing you want to check off your bucket list before you turn 99 years old? What a great question. <laughs> um, I, I want to own a farm and have a bunch of farm animals, specifically goats baby donkeys, chickens, I don't know what else, a lot of cats, like stuff like that, horses, ponies. I want to have a farm with all these animals. The thing is, I don't know if I like, I'm going to want to take care of them when I'm 80 years old, but like, that's my current retirement plan. And that's what I want to do before I'm 99 years old is have all these cute little animals. (laughs) There you go. What about you, Logan? What do you want to do before you're 99 years old? It feels so important. And I feel like everything I thought of did not feel important. <laughs> Very basic. I would like to like, I want to go skydiving before I'm 99. And probably I can't do that when I'm 99. But it's always been on my bucket list. I did not know that. That's terrifying. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm also kind of terrified of of jumping off from high heights, like when I've tried to go like cliff jumping and things. So um I don't know how I'm going to get out of the plane, but I've always wanted to do it. They'll just they'll just push you. Can I they do that? Is that allowed? Well, you, you usually jump with another person and then I <laughs> they don't push you, but I think that person really just jumps mm, because okay, okay. my usually whenever I've had to do it or like jump off a, a boat into the water or something, I, it's just I stand there for a really long time. And then Okay, so if you were on the Amazing Race, the TV show, and you had one of those challenges where you have to jump off something really high at a bungee jump or something crazy would you do it for a million dollars i would just, just give me a chance to win 10 to 15 minutes to wrap my ra- brain around it <laughs> the time is of the essence i'm telling you my body just doesn't work all right i've, I've okay. been there before and i've had friends try to talk and be like you can do it i'm like i know i can i'm just not ready yet just give me <laughs> i have to stand here and visualize it Okay, well, we'll make that dream come true for you. That's that's amazing. Well, I guess I want to keep talking about heights, but we will jump into our topic today. We are talking about why events fail, which is an interesting topic. 
it's, you know, this, uh, this podcast is about education and learning from the community. And so we sometimes have to kind of talk about the, these more negative topics, if you will, but then of course, share with you the positive learnings. So we're talking about why events fail, but we're going to of course end with like a positive twist and lessons learned and things like that. So we'll get into our discussion for today. Um, And as I think a lot of you know, I love to look at Google, Google University, and Google said (laughs) that the number one reason that events fail is due to the lack of planning. So that secures our jobs. So thank you, Google, for that. But in all seriousness, when, Logan, have you seen events fail? And what do you think some of those contributing factors have been? Yeah, I think before I answer your question, Mary, I think just to echo what you just said of why we're talking about this, I think it's a taboo topic, I feel like, where you don't want to talk about it, just similar to how listeners, we always talk about backup plans and contingency plans. and People hate to talk about why things go wrong. And yet I feel like that is like the most powerful tool we have as planners is to talk about these things so then we can grow and avoid them. So that's why we're really talking about failure is we, we want to tell you that events do fail and that's okay. And here's how you can learn from it is kind of what we're thinking. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely, Mary, seen events fail. I mean, fail is such a big word of, you know, what does that even mean? Um, because I think there's very different ways of failing a, of an event failing if you, and it depends what perspective you're coming from. Cause there are often things in the event that we as producers or planners, we're going to notice. And I've learned there's like me things that I personally it went wrong and I want it to be different next time, but it's not something attendees noticed. Same thing of if you have a marketing department or sponsors, there's something a sponsor might notice that attend that their logo was the an old one or the wrong color or something that like an attendee wouldn't notice. But to them, the sponsor that could feel like it was a failure or a missed opportunity. I think there's many different ways that the event can fail or even event organizer, they wanted to make money. They wanted to make money on this event and you're the planner and you have a set fee for what you got paid and they're going to pay you no matter if they make money or not. But to them, they failed because they didn't make that money. I feel like to the question of like, have I seen it fail? Yes. But is it necessarily like a fall on your face? Oh, we can all, we'd all recognize it. Probably not. You probably haven't attended. You have probably attended an event that someone saw as a failure in some regard, um, which is kind of, cool to think about because then that normalizes it, that these kind of things happen and it's not always the end of the world. Um, And I think, Mary, we can dive more into contributing factors, but like, when have you seen events fail? Well, I agree with what you're saying. And it made me think like events, we got to give them more credit. They're far too complex to just like one thing goes wrong and the whole thing is just a complete failure. Like there's way too many components, like you're saying. So I think that's a really interesting, interesting point for sure that I, I that I think I want us to think about. So to answer your question, if I've, if I've seen events fail, I honestly don't know that I could claim that the event was a complete failure. Like, I don't think I could say I've seen that happen because there have been events where it's like, we're not doing this event again. And that's not just me, me being a part of it. The client's like, this wasn't a good idea. We're not going to do this one again. And so you could say that event was a failure, but I still don't think it was because think of all the components. The people who came have still been connected to your your mission or your company or whatever it is. You've 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 still built an audience. Like they still came. Some of them still had a good time. So like you can, that's still valuable. You can still do something with that. So to me, I don't know. It's not a com- complete failure. Even if you don't make your revenue goals, I don't think it's a complete failure because you still have people who have been a part of it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's also a nice glass half full and like lifelong learning mentality, which I would hope our listeners would share with you because I agree with you. I mean, I don't think I have a single event 
that I would go, oh, that was a, you know, a thousand percent a disaster. But there are ones that I go, yeah, we could have done that better. Or yeah, for sure. Yeah, it wasn't great. And, it, and in my head, maybe it could have been a failure on my, you know, I would personally see it as a failure. Maybe my client's really happy. And so that's the hard part too, is we're such a biz, a people business. And like you just said, events are complicated and there's so many pieces. And so it can feel like night and day of who's feeling really happy afterward and others that are feeling really upset and they're both valid and they're totally allowed to be existing at the same time. But it's not as like you're saying as arbitrary of just like, ah, yes, a hundred percent this worked. I mean, one of the con- contributing factors I feel like for me when I see a failure in any aspect of an event is that they didn't get really like hone in on the goals of the event. That North star episode we have from episode two is so crucial and like so common that I feel like whenever there's a failure point, it's often because there's no, they, they didn't actually tie the, the end result does not tie to whatever the goal was that they started out with. And multiple people will be confused of throughout the process of how did we not see it? And it just took to the end of the event for them to realize that whether it was our goal was to raise money. And we threw this fun social event that everybody loved. And it was still, people had fun at this event, but we did not, we were nowhere near hitting our fundraising goals. And that's because the event itself got away from the actual mission. And so people just saw it as a fun social event versus I should open my wallet and donate more than what you've asked of me up until this point. I feel like that to me is like the number one is when you've gotten away from why you're doing everything and, and the event starts kind of running itself. Yeah. A hundred percent goals. Like, oh my gosh, so, so entirely important. And I really have, we've talked about this in other episodes, but I really have gotten to a point recently where I've done what I've said I've, I've wanted to do, which is put those goals at the top of every single agenda. So when we have a meeting, we reflect back on them and make decisions based on them. And I, that has been like, honestly, like pretty game changing for the planning process. So I really highly recommend it. Which Barry, sorry, can you actually yeah. expand on that for our oh, listeners sorry. of exactly what you mean? What I mean is when you, if, if you have any say in the agenda or you can add something to it, maybe you're leading the meeting, I don't know, whatever role that you have, when you have a planning meeting, whoever's a part of that, the committee, the staff, the board, like who, whoever's coming together to, to plan this meeting with you, I suggest, first of all, establishing the goals together is something that I like to do is put every single person in that meeting on the spot and say, what do you want to see from this event? Like you personally, what is going to make it feel successful to you? And each person answers for themselves. And sometimes, most of the time, those answers actually align. And sometimes they don't. But it helps you have a discussion on the goals overall. You make goals based on that discussion. So that's where it starts. So what you've established, these people say successes for the event, what their goals are for the event. That is what I then take is those, you know, I can condense it into four bullet points or something that I'll put at the top of every meeting agenda. And we don't necessarily talk about it each time, but we're always looking at it. Each time we meet, it's there. And I think having it there helps people not forget, right? And so, yeah, Yeah. is that a good? Yes, no, I think that was really helpful just to build it out because I I totally agree with you. I mean, it's it's the act of verbalizing it because I think a lot of people, especially if you're working like in that example you gave Mary of like there's multiple stakeholders or multiple, maybe it's a committee or multiple people they probably assume they're all on the same page. You probably assume they're all on the same page, but just taking those five, 10 minutes, or even if that took a full meeting, because sometimes it might be if they're so off base to like verbalize, okay, yes, we are all on the same page. Cause I love, I'll have to probably adopt what you're doing, but I, at least now in my pre-call, my like first meeting notes, I do say, how do you define success for this event? And I would say that is super helpful for planners and vendors, no matter, even if you're like a florist, like just knowing that, because like we said earlier, multiple different people could view it as a failure for these different aspects. But if you have something to go back to and say, 
hey, you know, here's how we defined it at the start. And we did that. We have other rooms for improvement and things we can adjust moving forward. But we did that. Or to Mary's point, it's at the top of the agenda. And you can say, you know, we did those three things. I think that's really important because like, I don't know if you've been a part of events where they're over and people aren't like, I don't know. It's so hard when clients like you can't read them. So it's like, are they not pleased? Like, how how did it go? I thought it was good. Like, do they think it's good? Um, And then especially haven't when you haven't defined success what success looks like to them I think sometimes I've gotten in situations where during that debrief they come back and say like well we thought the food was really bad and I'm like noted great we'll have something different next year but also like is this I don't know they got caught up on it if you know what I mean I'm not trying to like discount their thoughts but I'm like but this really wasn't important to us like we never talked about how valuable food was going to be for this event we our goals were like elsewhere so is this really like, is this a failure? Because, you know, that one person gets really wrapped up about the food. And you know what I mean? Like you get in these situations and it's like, Betty might say it's a failure, but is it? I don't think that it really is in like the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And I think that's like part of it is, you know, a lesson from this is because events can fail and or people can interpret event as failing. Like these are the practices we recommend for any vendor, any event person to kind of, pro- it's, it is very much like to p- protect yourself. And if you're someone who takes pride in your work to know, hey, I delivered on what I said I was going to do and help you not get distracted by, yes, these little things that while they are important to know for next year, they're not necessarily a reflection of your job and how you did. And especially if it starts to lead to because like I think also when we talk about failure, we also talk about people needing to be held responsible and wanting to know who's responsible. And if that comes down on you as the vendor or the planner, I usually a client might assume there's some discount or like a financial obligation potentially that you need to give. And so just having some of the stuff to kind of cover your butt (laughs) to make sure that you've done what you can do and what you can control because so much of events is out of our control. um, That'll help set you up for success. And having this kind of paper trail of these notes is really helpful to get explicit because I know I personally have been burned when I've just assumed I knew, you know, they were all on the same page and I was on the same page and then something's come up later down and they've been like, well, why did we do it? why did we take the programming this way? Or why are we having a silent auction? And you're like, they've been working on a silent auction for weeks. And it's like, well, cause I thought that's what you guys had wanted. And it was like, no, our goal was really to, we don't want to ask people for more money at this event. We just want to celebrate. And you know, and you're like, Oh, I didn't ask that question at the beginning. So I feel like I've learned just ask all the questions at the start is usually, or as early if you're listening to this now and you already started, ask them like at your next meeting, but as yeah. early as you can. And I think that brings me to another thought that I had of why events will will fail. And it's what you're partly maybe alluding to, too, is that the shorter timelines are are difficult sometimes. Like when we get brought in on a project that's already developed in a way, and then you're like, you have all these expectations or, or you find out you like that they're not selling tickets, like like crucial things to make an event happen. Like the revenue is tanking for one reason or another. People aren't signing up to come like big things that you would like, you do need to figure out like, because here's the thing, you're not going to have an event arguably unless people come. So like that would be maybe a failure if people don't even sign up to come, like maybe that that's something. But um, anyway, when you get brought in on these short timelines as a planner to like execute and plan and strategize, oh, it's like so much more difficult. And during the pandemic, I don't know about you, Logan, but all of all of the events I was a part of, it was like two months advance, like two months in advance, I'd get brought on like short, short timelines. And now it's like 
at least six months or something crazy. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, that's way too much lead time. I don't need that much time. I don't need to be a part of all those meetings for that long. But now I'm like, wait, we need the time. Like we have to establish a lot of these things. There's way more components when you're going back in person. Like we need time to get everybody on board. Um, but the short timelines, those are tough. Well, it leaves more room for error because you get less forgiveness with time, right? Because time will give you the gift of having these conversations like we're talking about. If you have more time, that just makes it easier. Or if you need different options from different vendors, you're giving them the gift of time. My hard part has been, Mary, I, I have not experienced that. I have joked that to many other vendors that we've told, we've, we've proven that we can do it faster. Therefore, we're just doing it faster. And I think certain, maybe certain clients have embraced going back to like long-term planning, but I mean, I'm still getting asked to do big events that in my head, probably pre-COVID would take six months plus now with like three months of lead time or even an event like a month out. And it's just kind of like, yep, it's going to be the sprint for the final two weeks. And I'm sitting here being like, okay, what can I do from now until those two weeks before the event starts while I have the gift of time? I think it's encouraging to know events can fail and that's okay. Also, I wanted to emphasize like, um, I think one of the big things with this episode is we didn't necessarily want to put blame on anyone. I think you need to take responsibility sometimes if it is truly something that you might've dropped the ball on or something like that. But often like when I see events as a quote unquote failure, it is usually a, a snowball effect of multiple decisions and multiple things happening or someone with very strong opinions who saw it through this very specific lens and they're upset with how it happened for them. I feel like those are the two, two pieces. And then there's also part of being like an independent planner. There are certain, you can, you can scream from the rooftops to get your client to do it a certain way. But at the end of the day, they are the decision maker on some things that they can choose not to listen to you or not to give you. If you give your opinion on marketing and you're not in your scope is not marketing, but you're allowed to give your opinion and they just don't do it. That doesn't mean then if they can't you know, sell tickets that that's on you as the planner. Maybe you need to change your approach or something like that. But, you know, that's more on the event organizer for choosing to go a different way. And I know for me personally, that can be frustrating. I always still include all of these notes in like my post-event feedback report. Um, and we have a whole episode talking about how important post-event feedback is because in my head I go, maybe next year they'll ask me for an opinion or I can just put it in their ear when we're you know, months away from the event so they can like then maybe pass it on to the right people. Um, but I know that can be very frustrating for there's certain things that we're not in control of that would set you up for success that just don't happen. Not to like a sidebar too much, but I want to get controversial for a minute because we never do. Um, <laughs> I I would argue to say that if like a planner is responsible for getting people in the room, to me, that's like a giant red flag. I don't know. I don't know. Like, like I'm trying to think through this. Okay. So here's an example. We've, we've hinted on this podcast that we want to do a better events podcast conference. So we're responsible for getting people there. Like that's us. It's our event. So when a planner gets hired to plan an event and then somehow they're also responsible for getting people there to me, that's like, that should be their event. Like that's like, you know, EP events is getting hired to make this their thing. And, and then if that's the case, then I want to be able to plan it the way I want to plan it to get people there. Like, I don't know. I think, do you know what I'm trying to say? I feel like that should yeah. fall on the, the client side or the organizer. I don't know. Or marketing agency, maybe. But I feel like that's how it historically falls. I think I'm more thinking of the cases where people have to wear multiple hats. And so mm -hmm. some, some organizers might be thinking, if I'm hiring you to do my event, you're doing all aspects from 
sponsors to reg to marketing. You're doing all of that. And you're going to have that secret sauce to tell me how to sell out my event. This is again, where that scoping part's so important. Cause I know Mary, like you don't have that in your scope. That would be like a, a, a special thing that you added about doing event marketing. I also, I've sometimes had it in my scope, not doing the marketing, but saying I would consult on marketing needs or I would provide for one event recently I did because I'd been screaming it from the rooftops and they just wouldn't do it or they never had the resources. And I finally just put it in my scope that I would make a speaker kit and I would make a headshot graphic for every speaker. I would make a one pager with copy and paste copy and hashtags and links. They could just put it on social. And I just said, I said, put this in my scope because I want to do it because I want to help like promote this event because I want the event to be a success because it's such a great event and they just can't get butts in seats sometimes. And so I did that, but that was like a one-off for me that I really, really wanted to because it was something we said we wanted to do and they just didn't have the resources. But yes, if you have a big, the bigger events, definitely they should have like a marketing person, a marketing department, a marketing agency to be handling all of that. And you work hand in hand, but yes, it's, it's very different skill sets. And there are some planners I know who love that part too, but for you and I talking on this podcast, it's not what you and I love doing. <laughs> it's hard enough promoting the podcast. So <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy lift for sure. Um, and then as I was thinking through some other reasons that events, you know, fail, if you will, how we're, how we're wording it today, going back to kind of like the, the meetings and who's a part of the process when there's no, no structure to those meetings, it's, it's hard to come in. Like, like I hear people say all the time, like, Oh, like heads up this, this committee, they're talkers. It's going to be hard to, to get through the stuff you want to get through. You're going to spend, you know, five hours talking about centerpieces. That's what people tell me a lot. And I'm like, cool. So we're going to have some agendas. We're going to have firm agendas. We're going to send them before we're going to lead the meeting. Like, and I have to say it's, it really changes the meetings. Like when you send an agenda with a ton of items on it to a group, chances are they're going to be like, okay, so we have a lot to get through in this meeting. So we're not going to talk about centerpieces for five hours. And I don't know, that really helps a lot. So it's hard, you know, I, I think it doesn't make an event fail, but it definitely makes an event more efficient to have structures to these meetings. And then just going right along with that is like too many cooks in the kitchen it can sometimes be hard if you're working with a committee or company or organization, whoever. Like my ideal number is like six or less. The moment it gets more than six, it like just it becomes too opinionated. Like you still need to get stuff done. So sometimes I really encourage clients to actually have a smaller committee sometimes. Yeah. And that's even I think would apply for for even an organizing group or key decision makers um, for your organization. So um, I definitely hear that. I feel like another one for me of just like tips for or ways that I think you can avoid that failure is. Um, having rehearsal, ample rehearsal and setup time for your event, especially, I mean, it applies virtually or in person really, but in person extra, especially as we get back into it after COVID, we forget how long sometimes things take to set up or how long it takes all of your staff or volunteers to find parking or, you know, just how, how long it would take with a speaker on stage, getting comfortable with their mic and their slides. And there's so many things that can, if, if you don't have enough time can create a stressful environment that then can bleed into the attendee experience. Like think back to, again, not a failure, but maybe you had a less than enjoyable experience event. Maybe it was like, wow, oh, the line was really long to get in and you had to wait. And if you find out it was because maybe the printer didn't work at registration. And so they were having a hard time printing badges and that just backed everything up. And that's from maybe they didn't have time to test it the day before or earlier that day. 
Um, or a speaker gets flustered on stage and has a, an issue with their microphone. And it's because you didn't have time to rehearse with them and get them comfortable. Um, I just feel like making sure you have ample time in there um, and ample time for like things to go wrong during your rehearsals of just kind of like, hey, I always like from a tech, I'm thinking in a tech mindset of like production, I always want a couple hours of like just a tech rehearsal. No speakers are present. Maybe even the client's not present. We're just going to like super rough walk through where this and like, here's where my team, there's no dumb questions. Like we are all getting on the same page of like what's on screen or what's on stage, who goes where, what we got to move because you, and that can take a long time because you're kind of figuring it out sometimes as you go with the space you're in. And then it, you don't have the pressure of the client waiting on you or the speaker waiting on you so that when you have the client and speaker ready, you are running like a well-oiled machine. And I feel like there's so many events that I've been to where I cringe because I know there's certain things they try to play a video and it clearly doesn't work because it's the first time they've tried to play the video and the file wasn't the right kind or something. And I'm like, that would have been a 30, 30 minutes tops. You could have rehearsed that and it would have been fine, <laughs> you know, or doing a test stream somewhere before you crash it and have to send everyone a new link. Like there's certain things that I'm always like that my motto to myself. And I think I did this as a bonus tip was like, don't save, don't save something for tomorrow that you could do today in events. So it's always like, if I could print something ahead of time, if I can, you know, text people ahead of time. I need them at a certain time, like do all that, give future you a gift of time by doing all of that the day before. So that when you're at your event, you're only doing the, the must do's that you could not do before that event day. Yeah, definitely. It's the, the idea of being proactive instead of reactive because events are so reactive a lot of the time, especially like during the actual day during the event. Um, yeah, I love that like super great point. And then the one other thing I was thinking too, was just like weather, <laughs> weather can sometimes make events real difficult and you got to have the backup plans, the contingency plans, like we've talked about. Um, so I would, I would still say that doesn't mean like an, an event is a failure because of weather, but it can <laughs> definitely influence some things. And you know what? I'm actually reading a really good book right now. We can link it in the show notes. Um, this is from a listener of the pod, Kara, Kara, you introduced, um, did you introduce me directly to this? I don't know, but I heard about it through you. Anyway, the book, I'm pulling it up right now. It's called Treating People Well, and it's by two former social secretaries from two different presidencies. And they came together and created this book, which is oddly very much event related. So that's why I recommend it. Um, but they talk about like all these these backup plans and, and things when things went awry because, you know, they're they're dealing with a lot of delegates and important people and things wouldn't go as planned and how they like figured it out. So I would say like a lot of those that those are like high stakes, high pressure <laughs> examples in that book. But never once have they said that these events were like failures. So I think that's pretty interesting. Even I had for working sports, I worked with one sports team that we got ratings from fans. They would just fill out a survey after coming to the game. And one of the funny things was we were definitely impacted. Our rating always went up when we won, which as a member of the game presentation team, I can't directly impact if the team wins or loses. We can impact the fan experience, but it was funny to see that just the team winning would inflate our numbers and the team losing would, would detract from our numbers, even though we're, we could hypothetically be putting on the same show. So again, a lot of it is also releasing the things that you can control. And so I think Mary, as we wrap up, just thinking about like for our listeners, how do you recover from a failure. And for me, it would just mainly be, I feel like what we've talked about documenting what happened, documenting 
you know, how you would change it and then making sure you have time to listen to other stakeholders of, again, what their feedback was. And maybe even if you're in that kind of space where you can start throwing ideas out, if this is a repeatable event, you know, what you would do differently next time. Or even if the decision is like, what if we don't use the event? I mean, I had that for a client a couple of weeks ago. We had a really challenging pre day of lots of cancellations and things. And it, it led to us kind of scrambling as the event got started. And in our post-event debrief, I was like, well, what if we just didn't assign seats? And it started a really interesting discussion. We didn't come to a conclusion, but it was just one of those of like, you know, well, why do it? Like, just like, let's pretend we don't have to do that anymore. Would that be less stressful? Um, and so just making sure that you have those questions as an organization. And even if you're a planner, this is like, I include in my scope, I always provide, or I should say almost always provide a written post-event report for my clients. And uh, sometimes then a call with them, or it's just written and given to them. I also have a more extensive one that I keep for myself because I often will make notes that are for me personally. Um, but that practice is something that I do all the time. And that is helping prevent future failure. Yeah, the post event report is a great call out. And we have a whole episode on post event um, wrap. And uh, I, I believe in that episode, we offered a template of the post event report. So go listen to that or email us if you want a version of Logan's template. But yes, absolutely. Like just to um, add to that, like briefly, I would say, is, you know, whether you're taking taking personal words from the client side, I think regardless, it's just like, keep keeping on, learn those lessons. Don't make the same mistakes the next time, aka make notes so you don't make the same mistakes the next time. Um, and then for me, like as a business owner and planner, I like, I have a really hard time not taking things personally, like always, like I know I shouldn't, but it just like is against me naturally. Like I naturally am offended often, <laughs> just things like that. And so putting that in like a business sense, post-event debriefs are some of my like least favorite activities because it's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not ready. I can't take it in. I mean, honestly, like I get myself in a place where, where it's fine, but anyway, I'm fighting against my natural instincts here. So um, all of that to say is sometimes it's harder to recover from failure when maybe you're like me and you take things a little bit too personally sometimes. But I will just say um, there's two things that really help my brain. And I hope that these land well with you. But one is that one time one of our, our colleagues told me that um, we're not saving lives. Like events are important, but we're not, you know, doctors we're not saving lives. So AKA there's more important things in life, which is ironic because this is the work we do and the work we do is important. Um, and people are paying you to put importance on this work, right? So I'm not discounting that at all, but that mindset really helps me recover from the failure, if you will. Um, there's there's a bigger picture, I guess. Um, and the other thing I think is being able to talk like in spaces like this to know, oh, well, you've actually gone through something similar. Maybe I'm not a total failure. Maybe the event wasn't a total failure. There are ways that we can recover and we have recovered and other people have recovered. So it's possible for me too. And so wanted to call that out. I think for me, it's it's much more, um, I don't know, mental, if you will, but that is one way that really helps me recover. Yeah, I think that's really valuable, Mary. I think it is helpful to find those people you can talk to and and your point about, yeah, it's not life-saving. At the, and I, I, I also take things personally and I've found sometimes I just have to it's not about you. Also, something else I always want to repeat to myself, even if it is a quick, you know, a negative comment that you got from someone who was important at your last event. Maybe it wasn't really about your part of it. It was more they were getting pressure about some other things and they felt comfortable enough to lash out at you. It doesn't feel good. But oftentimes I'll be like, it's not about me. 
my last part of for recovering from failures also as a business and as a contractor, if you experience something like this, that feels like a failure. And especially if it's something that like, after you've recovered from the event, just like mentally and physically for, you know, a couple of couple days or weeks, like it's also okay to know that maybe it's just not the right fit and whether it's, you're not the right fit for that client, that client's not the right fit for you. It might not just be the right fit for where you are right now. And that's okay. I mean, we, we sing the, we sing the praises of having repeat events and repeat clients. Those are really helpful for building your business, but also something that like, if you'd asked me when I first started my business back in 2016, I would have told you I would do any event and I'll work with anyone. What do you mean? I have to have a niche. Like I love everybody. I'm a people person. And I will say, as I've learned, I'm still a people person. I still love working lots of different events but I have learned through a lot of trial and error that I also have a very specific style and there are specific people who love my style of planning. And there's other people that maybe they prefer a different kind of style of planning or a personality or whatever it is, just like we all can't be best friends with everybody else. And that's okay. That doesn't mean I'm a bad planner. It doesn't mean they're a bad client. It just means maybe they're not the right fit. And that's something that I do those daily, those retreats once a year and now twice a year. And I'm trying to actually do more like once a month doing a CEO afternoon where I think about these things just to make sure that, again, we talked about being proactive versus reactive is it's really helpful to get ahead of that. Like if you already know, All right, I don't think I'm going to do that event again next March. Okay. You know, now I'm going to look for a different event versus maybe you're like, will they ask me? Won't they ask me? I don't know. And you could even get ahead of them and be like, Hey, I can recommend a different planner. You know, I'm already booked up with something else or, you know, you can figure out how you want to plan it. But, um, I think that's also a good realization because you also deserve to work with people and projects you enjoy. And I mean, it could be as simple as that was really stressful. I don't want to feel that stressed again. That's a, that's a fine enough reason to not do that event again. Other people will thrive in that stress. And I do have a quote that I printed out um, from, for myself that I now have on my desk next to me that says there will always be another gig, another event. And that is just to help remind myself at times when it feels really big about whatever's going on with that event, because we deal with a lot of stress on a daily basis and at events or in the pre-planning process that I feel like I have to remind myself. So saying no to something here is not necessarily you're saying no to future work for something else. It could actually be a yes to something else because there will always be another event. Completely concur. Great thoughts. Thank you, Logan, for sharing that. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this topic about failure. But hopefully we ended you know, on a, on a positive note. And of course, before we end, we have our bonus tip for today. So let's go ahead and just swing it back over to Logan for our bonus tip. This bonus tip is hopefully going to be a time saver for you. But this is if you frequently get emails around the same topics or questions. This can be as minute as like a specific event where you get a lot of frequently asked questions from attendees, or maybe you have to email 30 speakers with, you know, specific speaker details. I highly encourage you to like save those as a draft in your inbox or Mary and I for projects have saved them as like a Word document so you can copy and paste them. But it's just been such a time saver. I do this for events. I've also started to do it in my business, like when I get inquiries from students from my university who usually give a quite general inquiry. And I now have a couple sentences I can tweak. I'll copy and paste it, slightly personalize it for them, just kind of directing them to schedule a call with me or whatever those next steps are. And that has just helped be like a semi-automation of some emails that you get all the time. I love it. Thank you. Great bonus tip. You're making me, I wrote down a couple bonus tips for future episodes that reminded me of what you just said. So I love it. You spurred some thoughts. And thank you everyone for listening to our Listen to Us Talk. Again, thank you for listening to this episode about why events fail and how to recover from them. 
you can follow us if you want to continue to reach out and follow us along on our journey on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Better Events Pod. You can also email us at bettereventspod at gmail.com. You can also connect with Logan and I separately on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. And we will be back with you next Wednesday. 